So moving on now to take refuge in the precepts. I did not forget. I actually am very intentional about wanting people to be landed. You know, so often on retreat we do the precepts and the taking refuge on the Friday night. We're just getting here. There's lots of information coming. And we kind of just do it because that's how we start retreat. But I really like to um, provide a little bit of space for people to get here <laughs> and to maybe have a little, just a little bit of settledness so that you can bring your attention really to what we're saying and what we're doing. So we're going to do call and response because um, I use a slightly different version than what you all use and I didn't decide that until this morning. So um, first we'll take the refuges and I will um, read it in English so that those of you who haven't done this before um, know what you're saying. <laughs> and then you're invited to participate but there's no have to. Um, it's perfectly all right to uh, just let the words, just let the sounds um, come and uh, engage that way. So we will uh, cite the refuges or take refuges first. Um, we'll start with Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa. And don't worry if you can't quite get the enunciation or the, it's not about getting it right. It's really about engaging with the energy of what we're speaking. And what that is saying is homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one taking homage. And then there's taking refuge in the Buddha, Buddham Saranam Gachami. To the Buddha I go for refuge. Dhammam Saranam Gachami. To the Dhamma I go for refuge. And Sangam Saranam Gachami. To the Sangha I go for refuge. And we'll repeat that three times. Um, and if anyone wants a copy of either the uh, most often used uh, Madison Insight refuges. They'll be available on the table um, before the weekend is over. And I can also make available this form as well in case anyone would like that. Or it can be emailed to you. Yeah, and then I'll say something else before we do the precepts. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. We'll do that three times. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. 
Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhammam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhammam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami Dudiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dudiampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Dudiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. And just in case you didn't know, Dudiampi is for the second time and Tatiampi is for the third time. So now we'll say the precepts, and um, I guess I'll say them in Pali first, and um, you don't need to repeat them, I'll just say them so you can hear that, and then we'll say them, take them in English. And we will do the English version um, in call and response. Panatipata veramani sikapadam samadhiyami Adinadana veramani sikapadam samadhiyami Kamesu micharachara Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Musawada Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Surya Meraya Majapamadana Tana Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami The first I undertake the training to refrain from taking life. I undertake the training to refrain from taking life. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not freely given. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not freely given. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual harm. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual harm. I undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech. I undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech. I undertake the training to refrain from intoxication, which leads to carelessness. I undertake the training to refrain from intoxication, which leads to carelessness. I particularly like this version of the precepts because it speaks to undertaking a training or the training. Um, so that it gives actually some space and some um, freedom around um, we are all in this practice with these nervous systems and we are in training to take these precepts 
um, as ways to uh, enter into a uh, guide of way of living which leads to um, skillful means and freedom. A little bit different energy or a little bit different way of holding it than I take the precept to, which is kind of, there's no, no fluidity in that. There's no kind of movement in that. So that's just my opinion, not the truth. So whatever works for any of you, feel free to practice in that way. Just wanted to offer another way of holding it. Um, there is another piece to the components which come to the precepts which comes out of the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition, which I'd like us to actually um, engage with. So just as we did the five uh, precepts in terms of training to refrain from, there's also out of um, Thich Nhat Hanh's version a vow that's taken of what to cultivate as a way to help us uh, refrain or to engage with the training. So we'll say those now also in call and response, um, and then we'll move on to what's next. I vow to cultivate compassion towards all beings. I vow to cultivate compassion towards all beings. I vow to practice generosity. I vow to practice generosity. I vow to cultivate responsibility. I vow to cultivate responsibility. I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening. I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening. I vow to ingest items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy. I vow to ingest items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy. So what I thought I might do now is to offer a few reflections on both uh, taking refuge and the Four Noble Truths. I'm kind of um, holding an understanding of our time together for this two days as an exploration or a engagement around um, how we enter or how we um, become to be on the path. And then what's helpful or how we can maintain or sustain ourselves on the path. And then ultimately uh, being on the path. So that's kind of a general context um, that I'm speaking into. So I'll just offer this and as you observe and I'll say this eventually as I move around talking in different sanghas and doing different retreats, people will know this is what Dara does. Um, but with this 62-year-old mind, I can't depend on it to bring forth what I want to make sure I put into the space. So I tend to um, write and then read um, into the space. So I don't know if that'll change, but this mind, both between um, how old it is and all that it's holding, which you heard a little bit about at the beginning, this is the best I can do. So here we are. So first I thought I'd speak to or offer some reflections around the three refuges. 
in a saying from Rumi, sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you as a fish out of water hears the waves. Come back, come back. This turning towards what you deeply love saves you. Suffice it to say that I think for many of us, or perhaps all of us, we heard some call that brought us to investigate this path and then uh, had us accept the invitation to step onto this path. Understanding the interdependency and conditional nature of all things is essential to awakening. When we set the intention to be skillful, and reflect on our choices and their results, we open to a very rich area of inquiry that can produce ongoing positive effects in our lives. It's probably fair to say that for many of us, we come to this practice of meditation out of a need to understand ourselves, the need to clarify the confusion we often find ourselves living in, Many or all of us want to be free. We want to understand, we want to realize, to see for ourselves what it's all about, to possibly in this lifetime even achieve release from the vicissitudes of living. In finding refuge, people like Martin Luther King Jr., Viktor Frankl, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Joan of Arc, Harriet Tubman, or our modern day writers, artists, educators, activists, the students at Parkland High School. Live our lives or lived their lives, leaving these legacies or the legacies that are being made to exist to end injustice, to survive devastating conditions, to move mountains, to save hundreds of slaves through the Underground Railroad, to move a nation, have had to have faith in a greater purpose for themselves and the world. To make it through this life, we need to each find our sense of purpose, to orient and support ourselves amidst the fragmented pulls of our busy lives and the chaos, devastation, hatred, and destruction that seems to be continually escalating in the world we live in. And I just want to make the point that this world that we're living in now is no more chaotic or destructive than it's been throughout history. It's just through the... Um, hmm, introduction of technology, television, radio, phones, internet, that it's inescapable now, whereas our ancestors used to only know and worry about what was happening immediately around them. Now we're privy to, and it's kind of in our face, what's happening everywhere in the world. To make it through this life, we need to find that purpose. I think for many of us, the ability to remain deluded 
to the fact that there is much challenge and crisis afoot and to meet this world as it is and where it is, whether ourselves, the individual in relationship to our own smaller world, or the larger community of beings who walk the earth and including the earth. We must have some survival skills that actually allow us to thrive and be a contribution to others. We can begin here by taking refuge. Refuge offers support for our journey as we move through the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows in a lifetime, through gain and loss, through peace and chaos. In taking refuge, we reaffirm and remember our sacred connection with the world. Refuge is not being spoke of here necessarily as religious. Refuge can be as simple as making conscious our trust in this lineage of teachings. We may take refuge in a higher power, such as AA, where it has shown that such faith has proven to be transformative for thousands and thousands of people throughout the world. Much of the success of 12-step programs and other support groups rests on faith and in the power of the Sangha, the conscious community that is created. We thrive with faith. Our faith may be spiritual or clearly non-religious, a faith in the natural world, in the unborn generations ahead in life itself. To live wisely, we need to find a trusting connection to this world. Taking refuge reorients our life. Our refuge becomes a touchstone, a wellspring to draw from at every challenge we face. In this tradition, we include in our training taking refuge. In Buddhism, taking refuge is the door we walk through as we engage, integrate, and metabolize the words and the practice on our journey to freedom. I'd like to invite you, I think I might have said this, to consider if you're not already taking refuge each and every day when you wake up as a way to set in motion the conditions for a day well spent, for a day free from suffering. If nothing else, even if you do nothing else, that reminder that's available in taking refuge each day can be so very, very useful in living. An examination into where do we find ourselves looking for a safe place, a sanctuary? Where do we find that? And then when you take a look, do we really? What do we rely on? Most often, this brings us to the realization and the recognition, this inquiry, that we've been resting or relying on something or someone 
that was not really true at all. Where we might be taking refuge, relationships. What have we invested? How much do we cling to others? Being in a relationship through attachment, through fear, through laziness. Staying in a relationship that should have ended long ago or not investing energy in time in current relationship, making it the best that's possible. Work. Many of us invest and take refuge in work, in that identity of who we are, the doctor, the lawyer, the teacher. Taking refuge in work, oh, this, this job, this position, this organization, everything would be really great here if my manager would just stop riding my back, if I had more vacation days if I was really doing what I really love to do. School, taking refuge in school. Now, none of these things in and of themselves are bad, but we want to look at the attachments and the aversions that are in interplay as we engage in these various places and identities that we hold. School is a big one. And school is also one of the places that offers a huge component to our conditioning of living in the world. Taking refuge in your house or your abode, prettying it up, or suffering behind how disorganized it is. How much time do we spend there or away from there? Taking refuge in depression or anxiety. Taking refuge in the physical body. Oh, I need to lose weight, I need to exercise more. Oh, look how wonderful my results are having exercised. Taking refuge in food. Taking refuge in stuff. It may not be so true here in Madison where most people or many people live in homes, but I know this happens in homes too where we have so much stuff we have to rent a space to put our stuff acquiring, having, just taking a look, taking a look at the kind of subtle ways we spend our time, the subtle places we place our minds, really, which take us away from actually seeing things clearly and engaging with what's difficult, transforming or resolving such that there's some space and freedom. This practice is not here to make us suffer. We only suffer because we have not practiced wisely, because we have not done what is necessary to let go of ignorance, to let go of our attachments. Perhaps it is false perception that because we are practicing, we have to be terribly serious and feel that unless we experience some pain or hardship, that somehow something is not quite right. That's another place you can take refuge. To this day, there are times I get caught in that trap, me, that mind state of aversion and attachment. 
this just happened to me yesterday and one well let's see day before yesterday and one of the things that practice makes available is not getting caught but it doesn't mean that it doesn't arise so I'm in REI with my girlfriend um, we're planning to do the Lost Coast hike in Cal meditation retreat in California in uh, three weeks and uh, the reason it's called the Lost Coast retreat is because you have to walk in nine miles to get to the retreat center and then you have a retreat for a week and then you walk out nine miles on the other side and so we're so I'm 62 she's 68 we've been friends a long time we've been friends for 25 years and Sometime in the past, we said, oh, you know, for our 60th birthday, we're going to walk the Appalachian Trail. So this is our version of that. So we're psyched. We're in R REI. And, you know, I'm a city girl. I'm confused. Like, should I buy this? What do I get for this? Da -da -da -da. And we're going through the thing. And we're in the dressing room area. I'm the only black person in the store. So May and I, that's my girlfriend, May and I, we're doing our thing. And <laughs> this woman walks up to me and starts asking me questions like I'm the person that works there. Now there's three other women standing there with me. And so my nervous system, my immediate response, which I did not say to her, the practice has taught me about wise speech, but I said to May, away from this woman's hearing, do I look like I work here? With the head and the eyes and everything. And as soon as it came, I saw it, and I was able to let it be without needing to, do, you know, giving the woman her space and understanding privilege and non-awareness and all of that, that she could just be in her space and that her interaction with me did not in that moment have to define my experience of the joy May and I were having in terms of getting ready for this retreat. But there was a time where I would take refuge in becoming angry, righteous, and really had to give her a piece of Brooklyn, where I'm from, <laughs> where I was born and raised. So over the years and the course of practice, it has not dissolved or gotten away um, or repressed, actually, which is good, um, this response of the nervous system to some condition or experience, but just that that condition or that experience doesn't define our action in that moment. Sometimes it seems like we really believe that unless we go through some kind of hardship, we'd not be able to let it go. It is true that more often than not, unless it hurts, our ignorance is not even acknowledged. If it does not hurt, we can go on forever without being really aware of it and hurting ourselves and making deeper and deeper habit patterns. This seems to be our human predicament. Unless something hurts, we don't really wake up, we don't open our eyes and look. So whether once or often or every day, to recite the refuges as a reminder out of our habit we take refuge in things like anger and worry. We tend to take refuge in self-pity or pleasure, distraction, judgment, obsession with ourselves, wanting to eat or sleep to excess, 
and then taking refuge in feeling guilty about eating or sleeping. So we have a habitualized tendency to take refuge in the non-skillful ways, things that make us unhappy. That's particularly true in this country. We are so oriented to what's wrong, what's broken, what's not working. If we did not have reminders, if we did not have skillful means to bring back into consciousness what's really important in life, we would forget ourselves and never see the way out of suffering. Going for refuge is an act, is an act, it's an action, by which we acknowledge the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha as guiding ideals. From the Buddha, the spiritual truths are not out there somewhere in a book, in a talk, on a video. Not something you sign on for. It is intrinsically in us, closer than we have allowed ourselves to know prior to taking on these practices. We forget. We don't really listen. We don't remember to listen. There is much about this path that at its core is about forgetting and remembering. Remembering it is the nature of things. The act of going for refuge marks the point where you commit yourself to taking the Dharma as the primary guide for living one's life. Taking relief from internal and external dangers one becomes committed to living in line with the principle that actions based on skillful intentions lead to happiness and actions based on unskillful intentions lead to suffering. Although the tradition of going to refuge is an ancient practice, it is still relevant for our practice today. We are faced with the same internal dangers that faced people in the Buddha's time. We still need the same protection as they did. When we take refuge, it is essentially an act of taking refuge in the doctrine of karma. It is an act of surrender in that one is committed to aligning the life that is lived with the principles and understanding of karma or cause and effect. To take refuge in this way ultimately means to take refuge in the quality of our intentions, for that's where the essence of karma lies. From the Dhammapada, they go to many a refuge, to mountains, forests, parks, trees, and shrines people threatened with danger. That's not the secure refuge. That's not the highest refuge. That's not the refuge having gone to which you gain release from all suffering and stress. But when, having gone for refuge to the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, you see with right discernment the Four Noble Truths, stress, the cause of stress, the transcending of stress, and the Noble Eightfold Path, the way to the stilling of stress. 
That's the secure refuge, the highest refuge. That is the refuge, having gone to, which you gain release from all suffering and stress. There are a number of ways to help us remember meditation, collective rituals, being in nature, reconnecting with a sense of spirit and aliveness. In this tradition, the first step in taking us towards remembering who we really are is the taking of the refuges. Refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, the Sangha. The three refuges also are referred to as the triple jewels or gems. They are called this because they are valuable and because in ancient times, gems were thought to have protective powers. These gems do create, through practice, the protective powers against greed, aversion, and delusion. A person taking refuge in the Buddha is not asking for the Buddha to personally intervene to provide protection. Still, one of the Buddha's central teachings is that human life is fraught with dangers. From greed, from anger, from delusion. And so the concept of refuge is central to this path of practice. The practice is aimed at gaining release from those dangers. Because the mind is the source both of the dangers and of the release. There is a need for two levels of refuge. External refuge, which provides models and guidelines so that we can identify which qualities in the mind lead to danger and which to release. And internal qualities. For example, the qualities leading to release that we develop in our mind in imitation of our external models. The internal level is where true refuge is found. On the internal level, the Buddha, the Dharma, and Sangha are the skillful qualities we develop of our minds, imitation of those external models. For instance, the Buddha was a person of wisdom, purity, and compassion. When we develop wisdom, purity and compassion in our own minds, they form our refuge on an internal level. The Buddha tasted awakening by developing conviction, persistence, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment. When we develop these same qualities to the point of attaining freedom, that freedom is our ultimate refuge. This is the point where the three aspects of the triple jewels become one, beyond the reach of greed, anger, and delusion, and thus totally secure. Traditionally, there are three levels of Buddhist refuge, outer, inner, and innermost. On the outer level, we take refuge in the historical Buddha, a remarkably wise human being who pointed the way to inner freedom who found the way through his lived experience. It is not the man 
Siddhartha Gautama we take refuge in, but the fact of his awakening, trusting in the belief that he did awaken to the truth and that he did this by developing qualities that we too can develop and that the truths to which he awoke provide a best perspective for the conduct of our lives. We take refuge in the Dharma, the teachings, the teachings of generosity, compassion, and wisdom that bring freedom. The Dharma, the path of practice the Buddha taught the followers. The words of the teaching, the act of putting the teachings into practice, and the attainment of awakening as a result. The three-pointed understanding of the word Dharma actually acts as a map directing us on how to take the external refuges and make them internal by learning about the teachings, using them to develop the qualities the Buddha himself used to attain freedom, and then causing the realization of the same release from the dangers that he found in the quality of freedom that we can touch inside. We take refuge in the Sangha, in the Buddhist community of awakened beings. This outer refuge connects us to tradition and to millions of followers through the Buddha's path. There are two senses of this external level of Sangha, the historical ancestral lineage of the community of monks and nuns and lay people who have practiced the Dharma and who have gained a glimpse of the freedom that is available. And the communities of monks and nuns and lay people who though may not have been the most reliable models of behavior, have helped keep the teachings alive for more than 2,500 years. So when looking for guidance in the conduct of our lives, we must look for the living examples provided by the ideal Sangha. Taking the inner refuge of the Buddha, taking the inner refuge, we shift from the historical Buddha to the Buddha nature in all beings. We take refuge in the potential for awakening in everyone we meet. The inner refuge of the Dharma shifts from the outer teachings to the inner truth to seeing things the way they are. We commit ourselves to follow the truth and live in accord with it. The inner Sangha shifts from the Buddhist community to all beings dedicated to awakening. We take refuge in this stream. Taking the innermost refuge in the Buddha here we take refuge in the timeless consciousness and the ultimate taste of freedom. As Ajahn Chah explains, we take refuge in the Buddha, but what is this Buddha? When we see with the eye of wisdom, we know that the Buddha is timeless, unborn, unrelated to any body, any history, any place. Buddha is the ground of all being, the realization of the truth of the unmoving mind. The Buddha was not enlightened in India. In fact, he was never enlightened, was never born, 
and never died. This timeless Buddha is our true home, our abiding place. We can see the extremes of the mind, happiness, unhappiness, pleasure, pain, inspiration, and despair. We can see hope and depression. We can see praise and blame. We can see agitation, sleepiness, boredom, the whole range of it. And that seeing is a balancing factor because we become aware of our attachments to these moods, these states of mind. Without a refuge in the knowing, in the awakened mind, we'd never be able to look at the mind. We'd be lost in confusion. Taking the innermost refuge in the Dharma, we rest in the eternal freedom. Zen ancestor Huang Po's words proclaim, your true nature is something never lost to you, even in moments of delusion, nor is it gained at the moment of enlightenment. It is the nature of your own mind, the source of all things, your original luminous brilliance. You, the richest person in the world, have been going around laboring and begging when all the while the treasure you seek is within you. It is who you are. To be in touch with the ordinariness of our life is something very challenging for us because we are conditioned towards getting our energy through things that are interesting or stimulating. Or we focus our attention on the next thing, what's going to happen next. Unless we have guidance and help from wise people, from people who have an understanding of the path, we tend to do our spiritual practice in the same way as we live our life. We are still looking for the excitement, for something special, for the big bang, for the flashing lights, for the super insights that are going to solve all our problems. With the practice, there is a change in our relationship with our mind. Being in harmony with Dharma is making peace with whatever is going on now, with the way things are. The natural process of the realization of the Dharma is the awareness that life is a constant opportunity to give, to be generous, to be kind, to be in service in whatever situation we are in. Lastly, taking refuge in the innermost Sangha is to claim the ultimate trust. There has been the knowing of this in and over time by those who are awakened. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of this when he said, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. We cannot fall or be separated from this truth of interconnectedness. When we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, all things become our teachers. Life itself 
is our teacher, and there comes the realization and proclamation that there is one true nature of which we are all a part. From my teacher Shirley Turcott, who teaches a form of uh, therapy intervention for complex trauma that arises out of an indigenous worldview, different and unique from any other psychological or therapeutic worldview that I'm aware of. We are all one, so our symptoms and emotions and thought patterns are all my relations and not solely my own, but rather a connection of all past, present, and future. So thank you for your listening. Let's sit for a moment. Let the world land. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.